Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Uh, the uh, hurricane, Hurricane Harvey, is, well, it's no longer a hurricane, but massive, massive, massive. I mean, you, you have to have been living under a rock to not realize this, that we are looking at a... Uh, you know, a storm of biblical proportions. I mean, this is a, a, a true disaster. Uh, you know, just an absolute screaming disaster. And you'll recall when uh, Hurricane Sandy happened and hit New Jersey and New York, you know, uh, more or less a blue state and a blue state, all but one of the members of the Texas congressional delegation, both senators and all of the members of the House of Representatives, with one exception, voted against helping the people of New York and New Jersey with the damage of Hurricane Sandy. They voted against it. Mike Pence ultimately voted against it, but in the meantime, kept attaching bizarre riders to the to the funding bill uh, that that uh, he, he wanted Katrina relief to be paid for with cuts to Social Security and Medicare. This is, this is Pence, Mike Pence, the vice president. When he was in Congress, it was one of these craven little right-wing weasels who wanted to say, oh yeah, sure, we'll give you money for Katrina. By the way, uh, we're gonna take it out of the Social Security and Medicare budgets. In fact, what, uh, what Pence said, about giving money to New Orleans, and I quote, excuse me, this was Katrina. I, I'm, I'm conflating Katrina and Sandy here. This was Katrina relief. This had to do with New Orleans, not New Jersey and New York. Justifying his cruelty, uh, this is from shareblue.com. Pence told reporters at the time that Katrina relief and the rebuilding of devastated areas like New Orleans just had to wait because, quote, it is not acceptable to take a catastrophe of nature and turn it into a catastrophe of debt. Right. And of course, we can't raise taxes on rich people or on corporations because then they'd be paying taxes like they were in the 50s when America was prosperous. We had a strong middle class. We can't have that. Right. Meanwhile, uh, in the last just 10 days before this uh, from 
from uh, Business Insider, Eliza Relman. Just 10 days before Hurricane Harvey descended upon Texas on Friday, wreaking havoc and submerging hundreds of miles of land underwater, Donald Trump signed an executive order revoking a set of regulations that would have made federally funded infrastructure less vulnerable to flooding. The Obama-era rules, which had not yet gone into effect, would have required the federal government to take into account the risk of flooding and sea level rise as a result of climate change when constructing new infrastructure and rebuilding after disasters. This is such a classic example of, you know, if Obama did it, we hate it. It's just, there's no other way to say it. If Obama did it, we hate it. It's just, that's what it comes right down to. And, uh, I mean, this is common sense stuff. There's, there's no other way to define it than common sense stuff. You know, if you get taken out by a natural disaster, if you get, you know, Houston has had three one in 500 year floods in the last three years. Climate change is massively pumping up the power of these storms. I get it. Our media is afraid to talk about it. They don't want to lose the advertising revenue from the fossil fuel industry. But that's what's going on. It's real simple. Michael Mann has a great op-ed about this in, in, the, uh, in the Guardian today. In fact, talking about so here we're, we're, we're in a world where climate change is warming the air. Warm air holds more moisture. There's a straightforward equation to this, but what it boils down to is every half a degree Celsius in temperature, roughly one degree Fahrenheit, a little less than one degree Fahrenheit, every one of those means that the atmosphere can hold somewhere between three and five percent more water in the form of water vapor. And of course, once that water vapor rich air hits a colder air mass, that water precipitates out and is called rain. And when lots and lots of it come all at the same time, that's called a flood. The Gulf of Mexico is between three and seven degrees warmer than normal, or than let's say the 1980 normal. And the atmosphere is a little over a degree warmer than the normal. Both of these are energy sources. Heat is energy. It's, you know, the random, the, the, the motion of, of molecules, Brownian motion, right? It, it, it increases as a consequence of the application of energy, in this case, specifically heat energy. And so the way that that energy gets dissipated, essentially, or redistributed in the system is by things like tornadoes. Tornadoes take that heat energy and turn it into kinetic energy, into, into the movement of wind. And we are pumping more and more and more. Well, actually, the sun is pumping more and more and more energy into the earth, and it's being, that energy is being trapped by all the carbon dioxide that is being blown into the atmosphere by the refineries, in tech, by the refineries all over the world by the drilling operations and fracking and mining operations all over the world and by the burning of these fossil fuels in order to move our cars around and things. Uh, a little moment of light here. Now, I, uh, let me just put this out as a request. I, I don't know anything specifically outside of what I just read on their website about the Islamic Society of Greater Houston. 
other than that there's 20 some odd mosques. It was established in 1969. Uh, it was uh, designed as a community, community center. Uh, ISGH now represents 21 communities from all over the greater Houston area. And the website is ISGH, Islamic Society Greater, greater Houston.org, ISGH.org. And if you put slash Harvey at the end, you get a page where the Islamic Society of Greater Houston is raising money to help victims of Hurricane Katrina. Now, I'm assuming that there are enough Muslims in the community who are in dire straits that probably most of the money that goes there is going to help members of that community. But they're also, you know, committed to reaching out to people around them, at least from what I'm re reading on the Internet. And it seems like I just retweeted this a little bit ago that a great way to help wake up the people of Houston, at least the, the Trump supporters who are left, would be to have Muslims come rescue them. I mean, I was thinking, oh, gee, should I, you know, I want to, I want to give a hundred bucks to somebody. Should I get, send it to the Red Cross? Should I send it to, who should I send it to? I think the Islamic Society of Greater Houston might, ISGH.org might be a good place to do that. There is just so much going on. Did you know that uh, Texas lawmakers, and this is uh, George P. Bush, and, and I'm not sure, I frankly don't remember whose son he is. He's not George W.'s son. He might be, uh, and he, I don't think he's Jeb, he might be Jeb's, one of Jeb's sons, or he might be one of Neil's sons, whatever. He is the, uh, the Texas General Land Office Commissioner now, George P. Bush. He's Jeb's son. Thank you, Troy. And uh, he sent a letter to Donald Trump, which was co-signed by 60 Texas state and local leaders. And uh, this was sent out back in April. This is April 27, 2017. The headline, Texans want Trump to help, help build a wall. Really? Yeah. The Texans wanted Trump to help build a hurricane wall. Seriously. They want to protect the Galveston and Houston areas. And uh, it wouldn't cost that much. They wanted, they wanted $15 billion in federal funds. Uh, you know, it's a lot of money, but it's kind of on the order of what Trump wants to start building his wall with Mexico. Why not build? I mean, you know, if we're going to be jacking the weather, why not build a wall to protect us from the weather that we ourselves are creating? <laughs> it seems pretty straightforward. Did you know that the Taliban tried to surrender to us? I, I, I'm pretty sure I talked about this last week, but I, it's worth revisiting. And, uh, and sure enough, a Republican has said, you know, we really need to shut down that Mueller investigation. Let's put this into legislation. Oh, and ICE is up to some really nasty stuff. Lots going on. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. And welcome back, Tiffany in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Tiffany, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to talk to you about the Real ID Act. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to kind of share my experience and tell you how it may affect the next uh, election in 2020. Okay, just for clarification, my understanding of the Real ID Act is that it required every state to confirm citizenship when issuing a driver's license. And if they couldn't confirm that citizenship, 
you don't get a star on your driver's license. And if they can, then you do get a star. And that makes your driver's license useful as federal ID to get on and off airplanes and stuff like that. Do I have that right? You do. Okay. Um, my story is that I live in North Carolina. I went to go renew my license. I've had my license for a while. And when I went to renew it, I did the normal process. But in the mail, I got an, an ID that said it was not valid. So when I went back to find out what was going on, they said, well, you didn't request a real ID. And I said, well, you know, I've had a, a license pretty much since I was 16 years of age. I've never had to request um, a specific type of ID. So basically, they told me if I wanted a legitimate identification, I had to come back with five documents proving who I was and where I lived. This struck me as odd because they didn't tell me this up front. Right. Now I have an ID I can't use. And at least you can't use it to. At least you can't use it to vote, Tiffany. That's what this is all about. It, that's exactly what that. And then I think it's going to hurt minorities because how many of them have the time to go back, get the legitimate ID, pay twice? Yeah, it's a poll tax. Time twice. And I don't know if this is just happening in North Carolina that they're giving out these IDs um, that are not valid, but they never told me up front. I, I would be fascinated to find out if if the uh, if there's a, a kind of redlining equivalent to this, too, if people in minority areas are told, uh, you know, are not told that they need to bring in all that ID and just given a phony ID that they or, a, you know, a driver's license that you can't use to vote with. And people in largely white areas are automatically given the IDs. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question about it. But that's that's definitely a concern. And I want uh, listeners to know that if you don't request a real ID, you won't get one. And despite the fact that I had to prove who I was the first time I got an ID, I have to do it again. Yeah, this is insane. And this, by the way, Tiffany, I believe that this is a poll tax uh, because it's tied into your your ability to vote. And they're asking you to invest time and money. Yeah. This this is this is a poll tax. This this is so wrong. Um, and this was in Charlotte, North Carolina? Yes, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I want everyone to know, because this is going to impact, for sure, 2020's election. It's going to impact people's ability to fly. Traditionally, when I fly um, within the country, I don't bring my passport. Right. And so now I could very well get to the airport and be turned around. Because you don't have a star on your ID. Because it says that it's not valid. That's correct. Right. Oh, it actually comes right out and says not valid oh, as yeah. identification? That's correct. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Tiffany, I, you know, every, every day I, I, I think I've hit my level of, you know, okay, nothing, nothing is going to be worse than this in terms of shocking. And every day I get a new one. Tiffany, thank you for calling and sharing that. Um, I'm, I'm going to be sure to clip this out and put it up on YouTube. Thank you. Good luck. We'll be back. Welcome back. Okay, I mentioned the Taliban. We did this. I, I'm. I have a clear recollection of having done this story. We did. We yeah. We did talk about this uh, last week. But I still. This is still up. This is you know up at the top of uh, the Intercept. 
And well, it's, actually, it's from August 22nd, but it's a story by Ryan Grimm. And he talks about how for centuries in Afghanistan, when a rival force had come to power, the defeated one would put down their weapons and be integrated into the new power structure, obviously with much less power or none at all. That's how you do with neighbors when you have to continue to live with. This isn't a football game where the teams go to different cities when it's over. It may be hard for us to remember. So, you know, he's talking about how in Afghanistan, typically when new factions take over, people just, you know, hey, they're local people, you know, including the Taliban. So when the Taliban came to surrender, the U.S. turned them down repeatedly in a series of arrogant blunders spelled out in Anand Gopal's investigative treatment of the Afghanistan war. No good men among the living. So how do you kill terrorists if there aren't any? And uh, you, know, you start turning your friends in. Yes, we did talk about this earlier last week. Republican uh, Rick Ron DeSantis in Florida. This is this this is pretty good. Uh, Ron DeSantis is a Republican from Florida in the U.S. House of Representatives, and he has attached a rider to the to the uh, must pass uh, government spending package that, that ha this has to be passed, which says that uh, Robert Mueller cannot investigate anything at all after six months from now. His funding runs out in six months, 180 days. That's it, Mueller. That's all you got. And not only that, he also wants to limit the investigations that, that Mueller is doing so that he cannot investigate anything that happened before June of 2015. Now, this is exactly what the Republicans did with the investigation into Iran-Contra, or damn close to what they did. They said that you may not, they, they said, they told, they told themselves and they told the Iran-Contra investigators, you may not look at anything that happened prior to January 20th, 1981. In other words, you can't look at the campaign. Now, in this case, you can't look at just before the campaign, but the effect is the same. Right. We know where the crimes are and where they were committed, and we're not going to let you look there. So keep an eye on this Ron DeSantis legislation. If you want to call Congressman DeSantis and let him know what you think about it, the number is 202-225-3121. This from the Iran-Contra story by Seymour Hersh in 1990, April 29, 1990. The headline in the New York Times, the Iran-Contra committees, did they protect Reagan? The answer in a nutshell, yes. Senior members of the Senate committee agreed from the outset that specific evidence of a presidential act of commission, in other words, proof that Reagan actually did something, would be necessary before Reagan himself would become a target of the investigation. So this is the equivalent of saying, before you can investigate Trump, you have to prove that he committed a crime. Then you can investigate him. This is what they said about Reagan. You have to prove that he committed a crime before you can investigate him. No amount of presidential negligence or nonfeasance, they decided, would justify a potential impeachment proceeding that could be dangerous for the nation. As a result of these constraints, many, many leads, some of them startling, were never pursued or made public. This is in the, 19, uh, this, this is in the, uh, the 1998 Iran-Contra investigation. The committees repeatedly interviewed a key White House insider who insisted he had seen two documents, each detailing the illegal diversion of funds that were meant for the president's eyes. This is for Reagan. This informant, a Navy enlisted man with a long record of handling secret documents and information, was willing to testify about what he had seen, but the Republicans in the committee decided not to put him on the stand. 
And it goes on from there. It's like 12 pages long. Seymour Hersh detailing all the ways that in the 19, late 1980s and early 1990s that the Republicans essentially deep-sixed, destroyed the Iran-Contra investigation because they had to protect the reputation of St. Ronnie, even though more senior members of his administration were convicted of felonies than any other administration in the history of the United States. Ronald Reagan ran the most corrupt White House in history until now. And, well, we, we don't have convictions yet, but just kind of looking around, you say, well, this is pretty bad. And this is how Republicans stopped those investigations. Jerry Ford stopped, you know, pardoned Nixon, stopped the investigations into Nixon. The George Herbert Walker Bush issuing pardons for the Iran-Contra figures in Reagan's administration, stopping the investigations into Reagan. Just, it's just, it's a non-stop cover-up machine. And now ICE wants to start destroying all the records that they have about sexual assault and, and deaths in custody. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. After all, it was just, quote, illegal immigrants, right? They're not human, are they? Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, promo code TOM. Void where prohibited. Welcome back. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, not too much, Tom. I just wanted to comment on uh, the Taliban. You keep going back to that subject, and that's a good, because I'm really, you know, I spent about 18 months in Kandahar myself, and um, I'm really interested in what's going on. And two things I keep hearing that are really um, disturbing is this report that General McMaster showed Trump, um, you know, pictures of Afghan women wearing, you know, quote-unquote Western attire. Right. And the other one is all this uh, supposed lithium, you know, for cell phones and rare earth materials. Like somehow Afghanistan can get us caught up to uh, China in that regard. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are very enticing, like the Western attire or adopting a Western civilization. That's the most powerful, persuasive thing I saw. Oh, yeah. Okay, Trump saw a picture of women in miniskirts and he was ready to go. But I mean, it's not, it works on a lot of people, not just Trump. OK, yeah. but here's the problem is it is completely arbitrary. OK, mm-hmm. the United States military being there. Or them even adopting a Western, um, you know, style 
is 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 completely arbitrary. Like in other words, they could adopt a Western style and things could get worse. Violence mm-hmm. could get worse. It's a false equivocation, you know. Yeah, as they did and, in the seventies. Well, I just want to comment on all these rare earth materials, too. I mean, I just don't think, um, uh, you know, it's going to Dave? anywhere near. Go ahead. No, you, your, your phone broke up. You finish oh, your thought. And, yeah, I'm in a bad area now. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. Uh, yeah, Dave, the, you know, we had a rare earth mine in California that was pulling uh, lithium and beryllium and all these other, you know, rare earth minerals that are used for in, se- in semiconductors. Um, the Chinese started dropping their prices on rare earth minerals to the point where the mine in California uh, went out of business. They could not, they could not produce at the cost that China was selling at. And so that's become, I guess, part of our strategic reserves. Uh, but yeah, Trump thinks he can, he can mine this stuff. There's a trillion dollars worth of rare earth minerals and other kinds of wealth in Afghanistan, and Trump wants it. And, and uh, women in miniskirts is something that Trump is always in favor of. So, uh, but, but I agree with you. This, this, is, this is stupid. Just the whole idea that we can, we can occupy a country for 16 years and ultimately probably 30, 50, 100. I don't know how long he intends to stay there, but you know, you're never going to turn another country into the United States unless you give them citizenship. I mean, you know, extend, you know, Puerto Rico wants citizenship right now. They've been occupied so long. They're willing to say, OK, cool, we'll be the we'll be just like you. But I don't think that's ever going to happen with Afghanistan. Dave, thanks for the call. Well said. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's up? Uh, hello, Tom. I think increasingly as Emperor uh, Trump as um, the great leader, President Maduro of Venezuela said, I believe that as his madness increases, as his dementia continues to reveal itself, that he will start a war, several wars, ground wars, with Iran, Venezuela, and maybe North Korea. But I'm not 100% sure about North Korea. I think their nukes, I think they've, they've They've crossed the threshold and they've gotten too powerful with their. Well, even without the nukes, they've got, you know, Seoul is within firing range of of hundreds of artillery battalions or batteries or whatever they call them that are that are, you know, built into uh, cliff faces and 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 and, uh, caves and things uh, just on the north side of the demilitarized zone. So even without nuclear weapons, they could they could kill 10, 10 million you know, South Koreans in a matter of minutes. So, I mean, this is what Steve Bannon said when he was when he was talking to uh, uh, Robert Kuttner, was it, uh, from the New Republic? Or, yeah, I think it was Kuttner. Yeah. Um, this is what Steve Bannon said. There is no military option in North Korea other than other than just, you know, massive destruction. I mean, World War level destruction, which doesn't mean that Trump won't do it. He's just, you know, he's just crazy enough to get us into something like that. But I don't disagree that that uh, I mean, he's already essentially declared war on Venezuela. He just, you know, amped up the, uh, the, the sanctions and everything. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. But it doesn't doesn't look good, Jared. I, I share your concerns. Renee in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Renee. Mike Pence. Hey, Tom, how are you? Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. What's up? Okay, I've gotten hooked on your show, so I'll just have to be open and honest about that. Thank you, Renee. Now, <laughs> now, with all of the things that's going on, Tom is just a big old supernova cluster, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Renee, your phone is breaking up now. There's there's an epidemic of this going on. Renee, can you hear me? Renee can't hear me. Renee, uh, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Chris, Renee is on line four if you want to pick her up. And let's see if we can figure out what part of your house you have to stand in for your phone to sound good. Uh, or at least be able to sound. I couldn't. I literally could not hear a word you were saying. Uh, Renee is on line four, Chris. Tom in Champaign, Illinois. Hey, Tom, what's up? Uh, hi, Tom. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Back at uh, you. I got kind of a comment question. Is uh, Viagra considered a performance-enhancing drug? <laughs> Why are you asking, Tom? Well, I mean, if they, is, is Rush Limbaugh part of the punchline to this thing? No, it's just they, the government or the armed military spent $80 million for Viagra for the military. Right, which is more than it would cost to help trans soldiers complete their transitions, yes. Right, and whether or not that drug causes, you know, like when they, these players, sports players take these drugs, they kick them off the team. Oh, but, I see uh, what you're saying. Yeah, Viagra, Sildenafil, I think, is or Sildenafil, something like that is the, is the name of it. Um, and I, I caught that because the other day I was watching an old episode of Hawaii Five-0 and some doc, some guy who was playing a doctor was prescribing some drug. He says, yeah, give him 40 milligrams of sildenafil. And I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that, you know, um, anyhow, <laughs> yeah, okay, I was right, yeah. I thought, you know, this is a strange thing to see a doctor on a TV show, you know, prescribing for somebody who's like in an ER, you know. But uh, it, the only performance that it enhances, to the best of my knowledge, now I'm not any kind of expert on Viagra, but my, my understanding is that the only thing, the only performance it enhances is the performance of your, uh, you know, apparatus. That um, it actually was originally developed as a drug to lower blood pressure. So typically drugs that lower your blood pressure, unless they do it by making your veins and arteries healthy, you know, uh, one of our advertisers is Super Beats and... and uh, beets are super, super high in nitrates. The nitrates in your mouth and stomach, the bacteria convert them into nitric oxide, and that nitric oxide actually relaxes your veins and arteries and makes them healthy and reduces blood pressure in a natural way. So, you know, if, if Viagra worked that way, arguably it would be, you know, generally good for your health, but I don't believe it works that way. I believe it works by uh, inhibiting an enzyme that starts with a P. It's like peg something. And that enzyme has to do with how your thing fills up with blood. So no, it's not a performance enhancing drug, Tom. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I was just wondering if, if, you know, like they have with the steroids, they have this roid rage. Right. Whether or not. I don't think there's a Viagra rage. I don't, you know, I, I just think that the, the important thing to point out is that the military has no problem spending $80 million giving Viagra to people, but it doesn't want to spend a fraction of that on helping its trans members complete their transitions or support them hormonally through, you know, the the, the process that they're going through. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's very petty. It's very small. Tom, thanks for the call. Dion in Round Lake, Illinois. Hey, Dion, what's up? Yeah, Tom, uh, we know Texas voted for Donald Trump. It's a Republican state, but I was uh, thinking about the evacuees. They're kind of similar to the refugees in Europe and coming on these boats now. And uh, I think it brings a great question about capitalism, how effective it is in this crisis. Uh, you've got these uh, evacuees dependent on welfare, and they're depending on the uh, tax-funded uh, tax services. And uh, we know that Republicans are against these services. 
and we know that the senior home was over flooded in Texas, and then it reminded me of uh, Paul Ryan, what he wanted to do with Medicare. Right. And Medicaid. And Medicaid Medicare. would be what is paying for most of the people in the nursing homes. Yeah, the, the question of capitalism and disasters, uh, they, you know, Dion, thanks for the call. It's a, it's a great topic. You opened a fine door for me. Thank you very much. Uh, this from Ross Story, Texas woman charging $300 uh, to a second floor entrance fee for flood victims trying to escape Harvey. This was Don Lemon on CNN last night. He was talking to Isis Bragg, uh, a, a young woman who was trapped in the first floor of her apartment building, and the water was up to her thighs. And she wanted to go up to the second floor with her children to protect them from the floodwaters. And the woman who owned the apartment on the second floor said, it's going to cost you 300 bucks. That's capitalism, right? I mean, arguably, it's a variation on capitalism. The woman on the second floor has some capital in her apartment. It has value, and she's trying to extract all the money she can from that value. That's kind of capitalism 101. We may find it distasteful, but, you know, this is the world that the conservatives want you to live in. And, uh, but instead... You know, what's so ironic is that Donald Trump and, and his wife and her stiletto heels just went off to uh, Texas to survey the damage. And this is one of those presidential visits that is fraught with potential problems, uh, image problems. And the stiletto heels didn't help. I mean, already they're getting all kinds of, you know, crap on Twitter for that. But uh, the, the idea that it should, you know, the, the just, you know, the free market solves all problems, right? When, when we took Iraq, Don, Don Rumsfeld and L. Paul Bremer, they wanted to try this libertarian experiment with an entire country, destroy the government, destroy every agency of government, fire every government employee because they're all members of the debath of the Bath Party. This is called the debathification experiment. And Don Rumsfeld, and then let them loot the museums, let them loot the offices, let them, you know, just tear everything down and start over again. It was a French Revolution approach. And it failed because libertarianism is a joke. But so what is going to be the solution down in Texas? Socialism. FEMA is a socialist institution. It's all of us chipping in to help some of us. That's socialism. Meanwhile, over at medium.com, there's a new Andy Borowitz out there. His name is Alan Ishak. Uh, it's truth and satire is the column. And uh, Donald Trump, the president did not seem to understand the full impact of the crippling storm or that there was no quick fix to rising floodwaters that will probably not recede for weeks and will certainly leave behind unprecedented damage that will take years to repair. Mr. Trump was particularly surprised to hear that the Army Corps of Engineers could not simply pull a central cork in the middle of the city of Houston to begin draining Houston. He later tweeted, just learn no main stopper or plug in Houston to drain rainwater. Huge Obama administration fail. Sad. <laughs> this is this is just satire. The president also told uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott in an afternoon phone call on Monday that his upcoming visit would receive big ratings. Not only will I, we make your state famous, but probably get you a reality TV show. American audiences love this disaster stuff. The president suggested they call their reality concept Donald Trump to the rescue. <laughs> Amazing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. 
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's on your mind today? Uh, let me mute this for a sec. So, whoops. Sorry. Um, real quickly, would you please tell me again what you referred to as, as when he was trying to loot the Social Security to pay for Katrina? Something weasel. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, rats. I forgot to write. It abs- I near, nearly fell off my chair. Here's my problem. And it seems to be a problem a lot of people are having. I've been in the middle of discussions with everybody, as you are constantly, about impeach, impeachment, blah, blah, blah. We all know about impeachment, and that's one way to get rid of a sitting president. Okay. Right. I am now fairly doubtful that it's ever going to happen. I don't like saying that. I don't get any pleasure from saying that. However, I don't think the Republicans um, are willing to risk their own reelections and lose the Trump base. Ergo. What are the other ways other than impeachment to get rid of a sitting president? What could Mueller come up with, for example? Who would levy the charges? Who would convict? And can you please explain what is tolling, T-O-L-L-I-N-G? It has something to do with suspension of charges or something. Yeah, I don't know what tolling means. I'm sorry. Um, I'm looking at the Constitution here, Article 2, which outlines the the powers and, and whatnot of the president. And uh, it's uh, part six. Now, this was changed. Well, this was changed by the 25th Amendment. Never mind. Um, the president shall. See, I thought there was something in here that said something about good behavior, but I'm, apparently I'm, I'm wrong. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that impeachment is it. I mean, that's I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, he shall receive ambassadors, he shall take care of that the laws be faithfully executed, he shall commission officers. Yeah, it's just the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. That's it, Nicholas. Well, I mean, who, could, who, would, who would levy the charge? Congress. Congress. The, the charge of impeachment is in the House of Representatives. And if they choose to impeach the president, that's the equivalent of an indictment by a grand jury or by a prosecutor. And then it moves to the Senate where an actual trial is held. And if he is found guilty in that trial in the Senate, which requires a two-thirds vote of the Senate, then he is expelled from office. Um, Both Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton came one vote short in the Senate of, of conviction. So are we then left with no way other than actual formal impeachment and conviction? Uh, no, the 25th Amendment provides a second option, and that is that either the, uh, the vice president and the members of the president's cabinet can communicate to the president pro tem of the Senate, which I think is Orrin Hatch right now. It's the most senior member of the Senate. Uh, they can communicate to that person that the president is no longer capable of fulfilling the duties of his office. And then the Senate has to vote two-thirds, and the House has to vote two-thirds to remove him based on that. that that's one way the 25th Amendment allows for it. The second way the 25th Amendment allows for it, and this the legislation has already been introduced by a Democrat, but it's not going to go anywhere because Paul Ryan controls the House, is for the, the Congress to establish a commission which takes the place of the vice president and the, and the uh, cabinet. And that commission determines whether the president is competent or not and, and then reports to the Senate and House. And they, and they make that political decision. They make that vote of deciding whether or not to remove the president from office. So to the best of my knowledge, uh, well, the third option, of course, is he resigns, which is what Richard Nixon did. 
But to the best of my knowledge, those are the only three options for removing a president from office, you know, short of, you know, the god awful stuff like, you know, McKinley being shot, that kind of stuff, which nobody's wishing on anybody. Um, but, but if you look at the history of the United States, you know, we've. Believing we've, that Mueller can accomplish nothing? No, Mueller, what Mueller can do is provide the House and Senate with enough evidence of, Ammunition, you know, right. perfidious behavior that they can right. say, okay, this guy has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. He deserves to be in prison. Right. And, and I frankly well, I think they're that, going to. I guess where that leaves me and most people I know is we are stuck with this guy unless he throws a major clot or something through at least the first term. I don't expect there's going to be any impeachment. I wish I did, but I don't. Well, we'll see. It's going to depend. In my, in my mind, Nicholas, it's going to depend on whether the Republican Party as a whole, the institutional Republican Party, you know, not even whether, when they finally conclude that Donald Trump is actually screwing up their agenda of helping billionaires and increasing pollution in America. You know, when he when he makes it hard for them to do that, then they're going to get rid of him. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. They're panicking. This the story from CNN's Elliot McLaughlin, uh, Dateline Houston at 4 a.m. Excuse me. The old, uh, the old sneeze attack here. My apologies. As Harvey dumped rain on East Texas and the water rose, writes Elliot McLaughlin for CNN, people started to panic, rushing rescue boats and even shooting at them if they didn't stop, said one volunteer rescuer. Yes, this is Texas, an open carry state where everybody has a gun. Clyde McCain of the Cajun Navy, a Louisiana-based rescue force that gained fame during Hurricane Katrina, said in one instance a, broke, a boat broke down, and while the crew sought shelter in a delivery truck, people tried to steal the inoperable boat. They're making it difficult for us to rescue them, Clyde Kane, the, uh, the Cajun Navy said. You have people rushing the boat. Everyone wants to get in at the same time. They're panicking. Water is rising. Because of the hostile responses, the Cajun Navy has been forced to halt some rescue attempts, Kane said. We have boats being shot at, if we're not picking everybody up, he said, we're having to pull out for a minute. We're dropping an airboat right now to go rescue a couple of our boats that broke and they're kind of under attack. Keep in mind, we're looking at a half a million victims. This is this is a you know biblical event. Meanwhile, and I don't know how I missed this. This was uh, Sunday. A quarter of the members, this is David Morris uh, writing, a quarter of the members of the National Infrastructure Advisory Council, whose purview includes national cybersecurity, have resigned. In a group resignation letter, they cited both specific shortfalls in the administration's approach to cybersecurity and broader concerns that Trump and his administration have undermined the moral infrastructure of the United States. This is, excuse me, this is remarkable. The uh, Office of Science and Technology Policy Chief of Staff resigned. The Chief Data Scientist resigned. The letter, the resignation letter from these guys. Now, this is the cybersecurity advisors, the people who are supposed to, like, make sure that our voting systems are safe, that 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 our Internet infrastructure is secure. 
They write, the moral infrastructure of, infrastructure of our nation is the foundation upon which our physical infrastructure is built. This administration's actions undermine that foundation. Amazing. The letter also zeroed in on insufficient atten attention to the growing threats to the cybersecurity of the critical systems upon which all Americans depend. So if your city gets taken down by, you know, Kim Jong-un or something with a cyber attack, eh, you can have a nice conversation with the Trump administration about that. Meanwhile, back to Houston, a vital dam. This uh, was just this news just came out two hours ago. A vital dam in suburban Houston that protects the central city. This is the center of town. The water is being held back by something called the Attics Reservoir. It's at 108 feet. It's like 40, 50 feet above sea, uh, flood level. Um, one of the, uh, let's see, Jeff Linder, Harris County Flood Control District Meteorologist, he said, we have never faced this before. We have uncertainty in how the water is going to react as it moves out of the spillway and into the surrounding area. That is to say, the water is spilling into, into the... Um, well, into everything. <laughs> and he says, if you want to leave, now is the time to leave. The reason being, once the water comes into the street, you're not going to be able to leave. Another major dam and reservoir nearby, Baker Barker, is uh, also enduring exceptionally high water levels. They're at the point where they just, they don't know what to do. I mean, they've, they've run out of information. They've run out of actions. Excuse me. They're just, they're trying to figure out exactly what can we do? What are the parameters here? What can, you know, what... And increasingly, we have no options. We've never encountered anything like this before. Now, why would that be? Excuse me, because in the um, uh, two to 300,000 years of human history, there has never been this much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. In fact, for the vast majority of human history, we never went above 300 parts per million. We're at 405 now. We never should have gone above 350. Bill McKibben started that group, 350.org, back before we hit 350. That tells you how recently it was. This is serious stuff. And yet this administration and the majority of the Republican Party are so committed to continued funding from petrobillionaires that they continue to even deny that, that what is happening around us is even happening. Who are you going to believe, right? The Republicans are your lying eyes. Meanwhile, imagine what we would know right now if all the records of the Tuskegee experiment had been destroyed. The Tuskegee experiment, of course, the... the experiment that happened from, as I recall, the mid-40s to the early 70s. Might be off a little bit on the timing of that, but I believe it was during that period, where they infected a number of African-American men in Tuskegee, was that Alabama? I think it is, Tuskegee, Alabama. And this was 1932 to 1970. Thank you, Troy. 1972, 40 years. They infected them with syphilis and then just sat back and watched what happened. Human guinea pigs. Well, after all, they were black men in the South. But we know what happened because they kept the paperwork. 
right? We know what happened because not all of it, but, you know, so much of it was destroyed, but there was enough of that paperwork kept that we are able to at least have a historical accountability, even if we can't have a contemporaneous accountability. So now we're looking at the, uh, at ICE, at the, the Immigrations and Customs Service, that we're looking at, at these guys running detention centers where uh, rape is fairly routine, where people are killed with very little record of it. Sexual assaults happen all the time. It's, it's an absolute screaming mess, and it's happening in privatized prisons, so they want to bury this stuff. They want to hide it. And the headline from the ACLU, this is by Victoria Lopez, senior staff attorney with the ACLU National Prison Project. The headline reads, ICE plans to start destroying records of immigrant abuse, including sexual assault and deaths in custody. ICE has asked for permission to begin routinely destroying 11 kinds of records, including those related to sexual assaults, solitary confinement, and even the deaths of people in its custody. Other records subject to destruction include alternatives to detention programs. Oh, we can't learn that there's an alternative to a private for-profit prison. No, you can't learn about that. Regular detention monitoring reports, logs about people detained in ICE facilities. Oh, we don't need to know who these people are or where they are after all. And communications with the public reporting detention abuses. And then they, they point out, for years, advocates and communities across the country have denounced human rights abuses in the detention system. Many of the records that ICE proposes for destruction offer proof of the mistreatment endured by people in detention. And the, uh, the agency that oversees ICE has provisionally approved their proposal and their explanations for doing so, for, for approving this, are according to the Victoria Lopez, the ACLU's lawyer, troubling. They posited that in cases of sexual assault, the information is highly sensitive and does not warrant retention. Right. Because a woman who's been raped by a jail guard or by a fellow prisoner wouldn't want anybody to know about that, right? Because that's just like embarrassing, right? I mean, this is the kind of logic that is driving. This is the Joe Arpaio, Donald Trump kind of logic. This is the old patriarchy logic. This is, this is bizarre. And then you got Neil McDonald. He's writing for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And I will share more of this with you when we come back from the break. But the headline is pretty straightforward. Donald Trump is operating straight from the white supremacist playbook. Forever. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So I'll share that with you. And uh, a Dartmouth uh, Antifa expert has been trashed by his university. I'm telling you, it's beginning. We'll get into all that as we continue, plus your calls. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Every, over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. 
New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, promo code TOM. Void where prohibited. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Trump using the white nationalist playbook. Trump went after the flooding regulations. I shared that with you, didn't I? That, that he, uh, he reduced the, uh, the, the flooding regulations before, you know, like what, a week ago? Okay, if you rebuild after a flood, you don't have to rebuild using climate change data. Bizarre. Sam Clovis. Odds are you have only heard of Sam Clovis in the context of his being a right-wing radio talk show host. But uh, that's who Sam Clovis is. He's a right-wing radio talk show host. So why am I talking about a right-wing radio talk show host? Because the president of the United States has nominated this longtime racist, climate-denying, conservative talk show radio hack, Sam Clovis. This is a, a phrase that I'm reading from Josh Nelson's email from Credo Action. He says, if you thought Donald Trump's war on people of color and the climate couldn't get any worse, think again. Trump has nominated longtime racist and climate-denying conservative talk radio hack Sam Clovis to serve as the Department of Agriculture's chief scientist. Yes, the chief scientist is the guy who said that President Obama and his black and Latino cabinet members are racists. What? Oh, we do. Okay, are racists and that uh, that climate science is junk. And this is the guy that Trump wants to be the USDA chief scientist. No, it doesn't get any weirder than that. And I mentioned to you the um, the 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 situation with the Dartmouth professor. Mark Bray was on our program a week ago. He wrote a book about Antifa. It's sort of like the book on the topic right now. And, and the, it's, it's called Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. And the, uh, you know, some right-wing groups have been attacking him because he has come out and said the Antifa people are, you know, sometimes when you're fighting fascism, you actually have to use... I don't think he used the word violence, but you actually have to you have to engage in confrontation. And the president of Dartmouth has gone after this guy. And this is see, I told you, I you know, I yesterday and last week I was saying the time is going to come when it will be difficult even for me on this show to defend the Antifa people because they're going to be so heavily smeared by the corporate media. Mainstream media cannot deal with nuance. It's either black or it's white. It's either good or it's evil. Period. Nothing in between. And, you know, once you get dropped into one of those categories, it can be damn, damn hard to get out of it. So, anyhow, that's, that's the situation. Dujah, uh, Puja Data is on the line, political organizer with the Working Families Party. Uh, Puja, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Are you our guest for the top of the hour? Oh, somehow I missed that. <laughs> Pooja, welcome to the program. Thank you. So tell us about the work that you're doing with the uh, Working Families Party. 
I I will. I just want to apologize real quick. I'm actually marching on the road from Charlottesville to D.C. right now. Uh-huh. So you might hear some... Uh, so tell us about the march. <laughs> um, so this march is to confront white supremacy. Um, we are saying, you know, uh, the this, this, this systems that have been built in our country, you know, exist on white supremacy. And Donald Trump is nothing more than a symptom of a problem that's been built into the very fabric of our country. And we are marching because we're, you know, we're tired of it. We're sick and tired of, you know, our elected officials um, fighting with the Nazis. (laughs) And, you know, um, it's time for us, just like people all over the country, to stand up and say, you know, this is enough. We've had it. Let's fight back. So, uh, Pooja, if and and good on you for being part of the march. If people want to know more about the march, by the way, is there a website or a Twitter yes, hashtag? Um, or yeah, you can look us up on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. Um, we are C V I L L E, the number two DC. So it's Cville two DC. That's the hashtag we're using. Um, you can also look us up on Facebook using that, and we have a website which is Cville two DC dot US. Okay, Seville to D.C. As in Charlottesville to D.C. Okay. So, so Pooja, what would it look like if you got everything you wanted? What would it look like? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> um, for me, uh, equality, liberation, um, you know, guaranteed jobs, people being able to live a life that is fulfilling to them. And not having to worry about health care, not having to worry about um, whether or not cops are going to uh, arrest them or kill their, their family. Um, just, you know, basic equality for, for oh. all. It sounds like you want to, it, it sounds like you're describing a, a Northern European country. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In some ways. You know, they have their problems, too. I'm not Well, of course they do. But, but, but democratic socialism seems to work quite well over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a part of VSA as well, so I would agree. Great. Okay. So people who might want to support your march or who might want to follow up on it or, or whatever, uh, go to the websites that you mentioned? Yes. And we're also on Facebook, and you can use the hashtag to find us as well. Okay. And when are you going to arrive in D.C.? Um, we are going to arrive in D.C. on the 6th. So we started yesterday. We're going to march until the 6th. Uh, five or 6, did you say? The 6th. The sixth. sixth. So okay. ten days. Right. Okay, great. So will you keep us up to date on how it's going? We sure will. Okay, great. Pooja Data, uh, political organizer with the Working Families Party. Thank you, Pooja. Thank you so much, Tom. Great talking with you. Uh, moving along and and uh, moving along here, David in Seattle. Hey David, what's on your mind today? Well, um, I have uh, ten ideas uh, to make uh, the place a better America. Okay. One, volunteer. Number two, neighborhood cleanup. Be positive. Number three, four, vote. Number five, recycle. Number six, be a vegetarian. Seven, be a role model. Learn, grow. Number eight, grow a garden or herbs in your windowsill. Help others. Hey, Tom, I write poetry. Would you like to hear a poem? Well, I'd like to hear nine and ten. Well, well, oh, nine is grow a garden and ten is help others. Oh, I see. Okay. 
And here's one of my poems because people say they're uplifting. Tell okay. them you're uplifting. You keep it keep it short, day. David. We we generally ask people not to read on the air. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. But if you uh, if you got something like that's just that a couple lines, say, feel uh, free. I, that you that you uh, say uh, it's not a democracy is not a spectator sport every day. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's why I was. Uh, Tom, you know, uh, Thor brought the hammer down on the giant. I want Robert Mueller to pull the hammer down on Trump. Yeah, I I think uh, Robert Mueller is probably going to play the role of Thor quite well here. David, thanks for the call. And uh, thanks for listening to us there in Seattle. What a day. A little rain here in D.C. Nothing like what's happening in Houston. Pay pay attention to what's going on down there. This this. We, our fellow Americans, our fellow human beings are in a serious crisis. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.